0: The word of God for our consideration this morning comes to us from the book of Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country and away from your relatives and from your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse anyone who dishonors you. All of the families of the earth will be blessed in you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to travel to the land of Canaan. Eventually they arrived in the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land until he came to the Oak of Morah at the place called Shechem. The Canaanites were in the land at that time. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. He moved on from there to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent there with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and proclaimed the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who is the author and source of true saving faith, what do you think of when you think of great faith? What types of characteristics or behaviors do you associate with someone who has great faith? I think we normally associated it with people who do great things, great acts of faith. So when we think of characters from the Bible, we think of people like Noah. What great faith must he have had to build a huge ark on dry land when there was no rain falling from the sky? Or you think of Moses who stood up against Pharaoh who controlled the most powerful empire in the world at that time. Or you think of Daniel who, who said, yeah, I'll go... I'll go face those lions in that den rather than deny my Lord and God and Savior. We probably imagine that the apostles must have had great faith, especially because 11 out of the 12 of them were martyred for their confession of that faith. They preferred to die rather than deny Jesus as their Savior. Maybe we picture Martin Luther standing up against the heresies of the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church as being someone who had great faith. What about if you look around this room right now? Who would you point at as having great faith? Probably the people who are most active in the church, who are most generous with their time and their money those who don't seem to ever waver in their faith, those who don't seem to struggle with sin, those who seem to have their lives put together, those who don't seem to have any anxieties or worries about the future or their children or anything else. We might point at people like that as someone who has has great faith. Here's the thing, there's no one like that in here. There is no one with that kind of faith in here, and you know that, and I know that. And so, as we examine, we closely examine God's call to Abram this morning, we see that it's not really about us at all. Great faith is not really about us, but about God. Now, from Paul's letter to the Romans, he called Abram, or Abraham as he called him there, the father of all believers, kind of like the, the model believer, the one that we should all look to as being a hero of faith, having great faith. The thing is, when God came to Abraham, when God found him, he was anything but a model believer, anything but a hero of faith. Joshua 24 tells us that when God found Abraham, he and his family were idolaters. They were polytheists at best, which means that they worship many gods. They kind of had a whole smorgasbord, a whole buffet of different gods that they worshiped, and that is not a great faith. God came to Abraham in Ur, which ironically is a place that you probably didn't hear that name name in the news, but Ur is a place kind of on the border between Turkey and Syria, right where that huge earthquake happened just a few weeks ago. God came to him there and created faith in his heart. Planted it there when it wasn't already there. Abraham doesn't get to take the credit for his faith. All of the credit goes to God. And the same is true of each one of us. Faith is not something that we chose or something we decided, but something that God gave to us. We were, as we were born into this world, just like Abraham. We were... We were faithless idolaters. We were pagans. We didn't have true faith in the one true and saving God. As we were born, we were idolatrous, pagan sinners. Now, I've never had the courage to walk into a, a hospital room to parents who have just given birth to a child and say, Well, would you look at that little pagan, that little sinner, that little idolater? But that's the reality. They might look cute, but God sees them as idolatrous, unbelieving sinners. And don't take my word for it. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Formerly, we all lived among them in the passions of our sinful flesh, as we carried out the desires of the sinful flesh and its thoughts. Like all the others, we were by nature objects of God's wrath. Indeed, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So whether you came to faith as an infant, or as a teenager, or as an adult, you can't take any of the credit for it. You did not take the first step towards God. God took the first step towards you. He came to you maybe in the waters of baptism as an infant, or maybe He came to you through the voice of a pastor, or a friend, or a parent. But in any case, God took the first step. God planted the faith in your heart. From the very root of of saving faith, we have to acknowledge that it is the work of God, not something that we do. But now having planted that faith in Abraham's heart, now the Lord challenged him on it. He says to him, get out of your country and away from your relatives and from your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. Imagine that. Maybe some of you who are in the military can literally imagine that, that you are being sent off to to somewhere you've never been, somewhere you don't know the customs or the language. Maybe you can imagine that. But that's quite a thing, isn't it? Leave your family, leave your home, and go. Where? You don't know. I'm not going to tell you. Just... Go, I. I think it'd be interesting to have been a fly on the wall when Abram went back in to tell Sarai about this. Like, Sarai, uh, it's time to start packing. We're leaving. Well, where are we going? I I don't know. Um, how long are we going to be gone? Not sure. Well, should I pack a bathing suit or a, a winter coat? I don't know. Pack it all. Just pack. We're going. We're leaving. Right? Had to be quite. The conversation, quite an act of faith for not only Abram, but for Sarai and Lot and, and all those people to just pick up and leave. Now we might think, man, that is really great faith. But remember this, that whenever the Lord issues a command in Scripture, He almost packages it. He wraps it up in promises. And He does the same here for Abram, Right? He gives Abram seven promises as he carries out that command. Seven is a number of completeness in the Bible, and so we can kind of think that that the Lord here is, is promising to give Abraham everything he will need on this journey to this unknown place. He promises him, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who dishonors you. All of the families of the earth will be blessed in you. God promised Abraham posterity, that he would have a family, even though to this point he and Sarai were childless. He promised him prosperity. He promised him fame and fortune. He said, if anyone befriends you, I will bless them. If anyone is your enemy, I will curse them. And then the greatest promise of all, that through Abram, all nations on earth would be blessed, which can only be understood as a reference to the Savior. That from the seed of Abraham, one of his descendants, all nations on earth will be blessed through the forgiveness that Jesus comes to bring. It was quite the command, but wrapped in a, a blanket of promises. And the way that Abram or God dealt with Abram then is really the way he deals with us still to this day, right? He doesn't overwhelm us with commands. He doesn't slap us upside the head with the law. He doesn't threaten us to create faith in our hearts. You better believe or else. He doesn't hold a gun to our heads saying you must confess your faith. Instead, he gently invites us to believe his promises. He gently coaxes us forth and says, Trust me, here are all of my promises. And the promises that the Lord makes to us still to this day, they're no less astounding than the ones he made to Abraham, are they? Just think of a few of them. All of the sins that you committed this past week, and all of the sins that you will commit, commit in the week to come, are off of God's radar. Your rap sheet is clean before him. He promises in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I separated your sins from you. You are righteous and holy as you stand before God right here and right now, even if you don't feel it. He has promised eternal life. He says to the Apostle Paul that, the, that eternal life is the free gift Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the gift of God's grace. That is your present possession right now. Eternal life is yours. The Lord promises you that he will give you everything you need in this life until he takes you home to heaven. Again, through the Apostle Paul, he promises, God will fully supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus He promises that even though there's so much uncertainty in this world that we don't know what tomorrow holds, much less next week or next year, the Lord promises that everything that happens in your life, whether you perceive it as being a bad thing or a good thing, it is all working together for your eternal good. Again, back to Paul, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. You know those promises. You have those promises That is what we cling to. The Lord gives us commands, yes, but think of it this way. He only gives us ten of them, right? And you could even boil those ten down to just two. Love God and love your neighbor. Now compare that to our government. Or maybe compare that to your own household. I'm guessing you have more than ten rules in your household. But the promises of the Lord... Page after page after page of Scripture, he overwhelms us with his promises. And that is what great faith is built on, those great promises of God. Abraham also shows us the proper response to these promises. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. They set out to travel to the land of Canaan. There he built an altar to the Lord and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now this is what you'll often hear emphasized in Abram's story, in the story of his call. Wow, look at that! He listened to God. God said, go, I'm not going to tell you where, I'm not going to tell you when, I'm not going to tell you what the climate is going to be like, just go. And Abraham went. But even here, Abraham does not get the credit. You know, People will describe, especially the unbelieving world, will describe faith as a blind leap especially atheists, will like to mock us for saying, well, you're just taking a blind leap. Faith is a blind leap into the blackness of something that is totally unknown and uncertain. But did you notice that little phrase in there? He went as the Lord told him. Abraham wasn't taking a blind leap. He was leaping into the the cushioned safety net of God's promises. He knew exactly what he was doing, where he was going. He was, he was putting his full trust in the Lord God who had made those incredible promises. Why is it so hard for us to follow Abraham in doing that? In, in throwing our full trust on the Lord. In, in jumping, not blindly, True saving faith is not blind. We are not at all blind where we leap in faith. But why is it so hard for us to jump into that safety net of our Lord's promises? Well, for one thing, the devil makes his own promises. And his promises often seem so much more enticing and a lot easier than the promises that God makes. For example, many times when the Lord makes a promise it requires a certain measure of patience or sacrifice, right? Uh, If you're faithful to your marriage, I will bless your marriage. If you raise your children in the way they should go, I will bless those children. But that takes patience and that takes sacrifice, whereas the devil promises instant gratification, doesn't he? The devil's promises never require any sacrifice on our part. Just a few examples the devil has infiltrated our world to a, a in a way unknown to previous generations by the horror of internet pornography, promising that while, while marriage and intimacy within marriage might be a difficult thing, here is some instant gratification right at your fingertips. And yet every study that is out there showing... Those who have used internet pornography shows that they suffer guilt and depression having done so. Because they know deep down that it is wrong. That it is not only exploitative of the person on the other side of the screen, but that it is, it is, is cutting out some of their own personal holiness and purity that God wants us to have. Working hard at a job that is tiresome for you is difficult. It requires patience and sacrifice. The lottery is pretty easy, though. You just walk into a convenience store and buy your ticket. You see, the thing is that the only thing that's worse than wasting your money on buying a Powerball ticket is winning the Powerball. Again, study after study has shown that, that winning that amount of money absolutely ruins people's lives. That's how the devil works. He's a liar. His promises, they're all lies. All he can do is lie to us. He promises pleasure and he gives us pain and guilt. He promises us riches and we end up broke. He promises that this is the way to a good life and you know what happens? We end up dying. The devil is a liar. But he makes it difficult to trust the Lord's promises, doesn't he? The other thing that gets in the way of of taking that leap, not a blind leap, but a leap into the solid, unbreakable promises of the Lord, is our own reason. Again, faith is, is trusting what is unseen over and above what we see. It is a hope for something that we have not yet seen. But our reason often gets in the way. Our reason often overpowers our faith, and therefore reason is one of the greatest enemies of faith. For example, the Lord says, if you give your first fruits to me, I will bless you. I will make you prosperous. And yet we think, if I give the first part of my paycheck, I may not have enough left to cover the mortgage or the car payment. We think, if I take 15 minutes or 30 minutes out of my day to study my Bible and to read a devotion and to pray, I may not have enough time left in the day to carry out all the other really important things I need to do. We think that while the Lord promises that when we raise up a child in the way he should go when he is old, he will not turn from it, We think, yeah, but I really need to get them into the best sports teams and the best extracurriculars, the best music programs. I need them to focus on their academic studies if I want them to be successful. And if I don't do that, they they may be failures in in this life. And you see how our reason gets in the way of faith, of trusting God's promises. And you realize how foolish that is to trust our reason, our fallible reason over top of the the infinite unbreakable promises of God? I can't even control my own heartbeat. I could drop dead here in the next second and I could do nothing about it. We can't control what's going to happen tomorrow or next week. Why would we dare trust our reason more than the God who created us and created everything that exists? It makes no sense to elevate our reason over top of faith in the Lord's promises. But it is a difficult thing, faith. Faith is difficult because when we look around us, we see broken promises everywhere, don't we? But when you look at those broken promises, who is it that failed? Who is it that broke them? I guarantee it's not God. God has never broken one of His promises. Who fails you? Well, your family fails you. Your co-workers fail you. Your government fails you. Your pastor fails you. Your health fails you. You fail you. But God doesn't fail you. God has never broken any of his promises and he's not about to begin right now. The Lord promises, just as he did Abraham, that he is our shield and our strength. Now, because we have the Lord as our shield and our strength doesn't mean that we're not going to face difficult times in this life. It doesn't mean that things won't go badly. It doesn't mean that life won't hurt, but it does mean that the Lord is with us every step of the way. Just because we have the promise of eternal life doesn't mean that we won't face sickness, and it doesn't mean that we won't face death. And just last Friday, we were able, a couple of Fridays ago, we were able to witness that with our sister in faith, Theora Yutki. She held firm to the promises of the Lord, but, but she was in that coffin and she died, which is her ultimate victory. The Lord as our shield and strength doesn't mean life will ever be easy or that we will ever know what the future holds. But we do know who holds the future. And that's important. That's important to know that it doesn't depend on us, but it depends on God and his unbreakable promises to do wonderful things for us and through us. So I, could, I like to picture faith this way. You know when you're, when you're getting on a flight, when you take a flight somewhere, there are two types of people on every flight. There are those who, who trust the pilot and trust the plane and the mechanics and everything, and, and those who do not. And you can always pick out the ones who don't trust the pilot or the plane, right? They're the ones who are, who are looking around nervously. The only ones on the plane who ever look at those, those uh, emergency guides, right, how to get off the plane uh, in case of an emergency. Uh, or, uh, they, they want to be closest to the emergency exit. Maybe you see them squeezing their spouse's or their ch- or their parent's hand until it's white because they're so anxious and worried. Or, or in an extreme case, they'll they'll lift themselves up on their armrests to try to take some of the weight off the plane, because because that works, right? Your are hundred fifty or whatever pounds, that's that's gonna help. Uh, and then you see the opposite, where where they're dozing off even before the plane takes off, or they're they're calmly reading a magazine or a book, and. And that's the difference between true saving faith and unbelief, right? In unbelief, we think it's all up to us. We think it's all up to us obeying God's commands like Abram did. And we can never do that. We can never even believe hard enough. But when we understand that true saving faith, great faith, is focused on God's great promises to us, then we can relax and doze off, and really enjoy life, and not stress out about it. Faith is active, and in other parts of Scripture, we'll focus on that, that faith is active. But in this case, with the case of Abram, faith is passive. Faith simply receives. Faith doesn't need to do anything except wait for God to keep his promises to us, and to do great things through us. Can you do what Abraham did? Can you, can you take a step into a, a world of uncertainty? And really, the Lord hasn't called any of us, at least that I know of, to just go to a place where we don't know, pick up our families and move there. But, but isn't life really no different than that? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or next week. We don't know any of these things for certain It can feel like a leap of faith. It is a leap of faith. It's a leap of faith into the promises that God has made. And He can do great things when we passively receive His promises. Think of Risen Savior. 26, 27 years ago, Risen Savior was an idea on the back of a napkin in somebody's living room. Look at what the Lord has done. You know we live in Dane County just like I do and what that means religiously and politically speaking. Can we continue to shine the glory, the light of the gospel even here in Dane County? Of course we can, as you do in your own private lives every single day. Can we sacrifice to raise our children to fear and know the Lord and value that over anything else in their lives because we see that this life is is just a speck, but eternity is forever? Yes, we can do that. Can the Lord's promises to provide for us, can it it free our hands and our checkbooks to make sure that the gospel can continue to be proclaimed here? Yes, we can. Can we, and especially those of you who are a little bit closer than some of us to death, can we look death in the face and say, I am not afraid? Yes, we can. Because as Paul says, in Christ, all of God's promises are yes, in Christ... The resurrection is sure. In Christ, your sins are forgiven. In Christ and his promises, you already have great faith. And God will do great things through that great faith. Amen.